0: Uh, at this time, I'm going to invite uh, Din to read the passage that we're going to consider together this morning.
1: And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the, law, to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a small sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed.
0: Thank you, Dan. So I'm delighted that we get to consider Simeon this morning because Simeon was a man who knew what it was like to live in tension and to wait on the Lord and to give him unquestioning trust. And that is really good for us this year, isn't it? There are so many things about this particular year that, although the challenges that has brought have not been unknown to humans at all times, and all the regular challenges of life continue to, to crowd in on us. Uh, but this year has, in so many ways, underscored uh, the tenuous nature of our plans and even of life itself. Even this week, we've been praying for uh, people who have lost fathers and brothers and brothers. Uh, unrelated to the virus, to people who are separate from their parents that they're trying to protect. They're, they're sending them messages on Facebook, singing to them on Facebook. They're, they're not visiting. There are people who would love to be sitting right here in front of us right now who cannot. And these are all things that just kind of underscore the tenuous nature of our plans. And so Simeon is going to model for us how we wait on the Lord. Now, this is not going to be a very sophisticated message. We're just going to answer some questions. Who is this guy? What's remarkable about him? And then really, why Why does it matter? So I'd like to start with just asking the question, who, who is Simeon? And we see this mainly in verse 25. And here's what we see about Simeon. He is a witness. Now, throughout the Christmas story, there have been several witnesses there has been the shepherds, and those are kind of like the country everymen uh, that God reached out to with the good news. We have the magi who come a little bit later in the story. They are foreigners and, uh, and they are rich. They are, in some way, they are privileged. And so we've got these witnesses on either side, but right here in the middle, you've got Simeon and Anna, who will not be considering today. Anna will not. But These people are pious Israelites who are are city dwellers. So shepherds in the country, we've got pious city dwellers here, and they are witnesses to the Messiah. Simeon is uh, just a guy. We look at the verses 25 through 26, and it simply calls him a man who lived in Jerusalem. Just a guy. We aren't told his vocation, we aren't told his age, we aren't told whether he is married, None of these things. It's very, very scant, his biography. Um, however, uh, even his name is extremely, extremely common. However, what we are told, even though we don't know much about his background, we're told about his spiritual state. And his spiritual state, we're given more details. So his spiritual state is that of a pious man. The Bible calls him righteous and devout and waiting on the consolation of Israel. Righteous has to do with his relationship with people. Uh, One commentator put it this way, he treated people well. And so that means if he was a father, that means that he is gentle with his children. And if he's a husband, he is faithful to his wife. If he's an employer, he is fair. As a citizen, he does his responsibilities. He was righteous in his relationships with other people. It says that he is devout. That means that he was faithful in his relationship with God. He was a Jew living under the law, and that is how he related to God. He was devout. And it also says that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Now, this tells us something else about Simeon. He's not just righteous and devout. He's hopeful. And the reason he is hopeful is because, and this is another characteristic that he has, he's full of Scripture. Uh... As I was looking over Simeon's life, almost everything he says relates to another prophet's Old Testament. And we're going to look at some of those passages today. In fact, if you, if you prod Simeon, Isaiah comes out. Uh, he, just, he just is just full of scripture. And this is great. The reason we could say that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel is that his people needed comfort. Uh... There's perhaps no other people who's been more embattled throughout history. They were born out of wrestling with God, if you remember wrestling Jacob. They went into slavery. They were free. They went into wandering. They, they went into the promised land and, and got it, and they lost it, and there were cycles of judgment, and, uh, and Israel's entire being was struggled, but now they found themselves in captivity once again. When Isaiah wrote, uh, the Assyrian empire was in full bloom and the Babylonian empire was just cresting. And now Simeon, who is still waiting for this consolation of Israel, uh, the Romans now have them under their thumb. And so Simeon was very, very familiar with Isaiah because it spoke so closely to their current situation. He called this waiting consolation. That's what he was waiting for. He almost certainly would have known Isaiah 40 verses one and two, where God says, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received in the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so this is Simeon, righteous, devout, and hopeful. So this is who he is, but what is remarkable about him? What is remarkable about him is that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we see this in several different places throughout this account, where it states that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He came to the temple in the Spirit. Now, we may say, well, you know, everybody has the Spirit. Well, that that is true. Everyone who professes Christ today has the Spirit, but that was not true in Simeon's time. The Holy Spirit came upon people with a special job to do, generally kings and prophets or skilled workmen. And so it is remarkable that Simeon is filled with the Spirit, and the timing of it is even more remarkable. He was in that period of silence, so in between our Old and our New Testaments was 400 years of silence where no prophetic word had come. And now, all of a sudden, we have got, it's not a major prophet, not a minor prophet, maybe, I don't know, he's a micro prophet, but we have Simeon here who has a word from the Lord, and the mark of a prophet is that you have a word from the Holy Spirit, and it comes true. And Simeon did have that word, and it did come true, and here is what the Holy Spirit told him. He would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ with his eyes. We can imagine Simeon on that morning, what it would be like for him to be spirit-led. I don't know what his routine was. I don't know what time of day it was. But he was, he was in his routine, and all of a sudden he had a strong, strong drive. I've got to get to the temple. And he must have been like, hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. He must have dressed, done whatever it was, hurried himself over to the temple because the spirit was driving him there. And so he positioned himself into a place where he could watch the the bustling activity, the the ceremonies taking place. One of the ceremonies is for for purification and for the dedication of the firstborn. It's going to happen around uh, the one-month-old birthday. And so he spot, excuse me, uh, the one-month-old and so he spots a one-month-old baby, Mary and Joseph, and the Spirit says, "That's the one." And so he goes over and he he takes this child in his arm, probably startled parents, um, but he takes that child in his arm and he begins singing this hymn. And so what's remarkable about him is that he is a man who was driven by the Spirit, which makes him a prophet. What's also remarkable is that he made some connections that very few people in his time did. He said these things. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation. So he saw that, that salvation is a person. He made some connections about the nature of that salvation when he described it, that it would be a light for all of the world, and it would be glory for the people of Israel. So the first connection that he made that was unusual is that salvation is a person. So when he took that baby in his arms, he knew that right here was the Savior of the world. My eyes have seen your salvation. He made a connection between God's plan and this baby. The importance of this oversight, or excuse me, insight cannot be overstated. You see, Jesus personifies salvation. If you have Jesus, then you have God's rescue. Conversely, if you do not recognize him, then you do not have salvation. Simeon gets this seeing language that I have seen, my eyes have seen salvation from Isaiah, of course. And this is in Isaiah 40. It is captured by uh, Handel's Messiah, where it speaks about the glory of the Lord being revealed, and that all flesh shall see it together. And so Simeon said, that is a promise that God had, and he claimed that promise. This was also um, assigned to John the Baptist. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These words were applied to John the Baptist, who who saw the glory of the Lord revealed in sandals that he was not worthy to latch, he says. For Simeon, he saw the glory of the Lord revealed being carried in the arms of a mother and father. He saw not only that salvation is a person, this is one of the connections he made, but that this person was going to be a light to the nations. Now, Simeon's not the first one to sing a hymn about what God is up to. Zechariah sang that hymn, Mary sang that hymn, where they said God is on the move and, and, and God's salvation is coming. But what, S- what Simeon does here is a little bit different. He highlights an aspect of salvation that the others do not, and it is this that it involves non-Jewish people, or Gentiles. He says that he has prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. Now, this universal availability of salvation is not new, but it was not something that many in that day were really locked onto. Uh, Mary and Zechariah, they sang of God's salvation, but not for salvation for all peoples. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says that through him, all the world would be blessed. Simeon understood that. Simeon knew his Psalms. In Psalm 67, all of them um, that says, let all the peoples praise you. Commentator Linsky notes that Simeon is one of those characters who are rare at this time, who fully apprehended the spiritual promises of the Old Testament. And so in describing Jesus as a light for the nations, Simeon is echoing Isaiah once again in chapter 42, who speaks of God's chosen servant. God says of this servant that most people who read this, they believe this was talking about the nation of Israel. But Simeon was starting to make a connection here. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, and here's our phrase, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The nations needed a light because they were in a dark. And the truth is, all of us require God's revelation. He requires us to open up our eyes so that we can respond. Darkness is such a useful picture because it speaks of, of several, several aspects of, of the condition that we were in that the nations were in before the light of revelation came through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever sat in complete and utter darkness before. I've had people that go to those um, places, caves in Kentucky, where they shut the lights out, and they said they've never f- had it where they could feel darkness. As it, it, it's as if it weighs down on you. And you just imagine if you were there without any sort of light, what you would eventually do the picture of darkness is, is very useful. Darkness pictures wickedness. The Proverbs say the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. And so darkness isn't just sin. It's like not even knowing that that's your condition. I mean, you don't even, you're running from sin to sin and consequence to consequence because you don't have any other way. That was the spiritual condition of all of us. That was the spiritual condition of the nations. Darkness is ignorance. It means that we don't have knowledge. Psalm says they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. And so here we have the truth that those who are in darkness don't even know it. They're just progressing through their life totally ignorant of the fact that they are indeed in darkness. Darkness is a picture of despair. Psalm 107 says there were some who sat in the shadow of death. They sat in darkness in the shadow of death. Sitting in darkness is a picture of giving up. You aren't tripping over things and blundering about any longer. You're not progressing. You have just just given up. You're sitting there in despair. It's almost as if one of J.K. Rowling's Dementors walked into the room. It just sucks all hope out of you, and you just give up. That's the condition of people in darkness. Darkness also portrays judgment. Proverbs 20 says, if if one curses his father and mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. And so there's a helplessness that that is attached to darkness. Those outside the covenant, Gentiles, non-Jews, were in complete darkness. Wicked, ignorant, despairing, and destined for judgment. Absolutely helpless. But all that changes with the arrival of God's salvation. Our scripture says that he is light for revelation to the Gentiles. It is a light that opens up our eyes. It's it's revelation. It's as if somebody turned a light on in the room. It is so beautiful to watch Jesus' ministry unfold to non-Jewish people. He came to his people first. But early on, you start seeing these hints. Matthew writes that Jesus came from Galilee of the Gentiles. And so Galilee was known as a region that was, had heavy Gentile influence. And Matthew makes a note that that, that is where he came from. Um, Jesus often went about and he marveled. Do you know that he never says a negative thing about a centurion? He always marvels at their faith. Um, as his ministry progresses... Uh, the Gentile Magi, excuse me, the Gentile Magi came to worship him. Uh, and then in Luke part two, we see Jesus' ministry continuing to unfold through the church, where you see Philip going to the Ethiopian and uh, opening up the word to him. You see Peter going to Cornelius and, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, and then Paul becomes the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so by the time we get to Luke part two, which is Acts, uh, we have a full-blown uh, salvation going out to all of the nations. And Simeon saw that right here at the very beginning. Israel as a nation had been given a missionary task. Everybody recognized that. It was supposed to shine as a light to the nations. It was supposed to be a missionary to the nations. And at various times in its history, it did succeed. But most of the times, it failed. Simeon wanted so desperately what was spoken of in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The nations were supposed to be attracted to a glorious Israel, but Simeon knew that in its current condition, under the thumb of Rome, that this was far from the case. Simeon knew that this child would change everything. He knew that the whole world's attention would be drawn to this one, and that he would be glory for Israel. Romans 9 makes this clear. While many people debate whether national Israel has a place in God's plan still, here's what it says, to them belong the patriarchs and to their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God overall blessed forever. Thus Simeon realized something that many of his, his um, friends did not in that time, that through this child hope and victory and vindication would be theirs. This was a connection that he made. He was also remarkable because of how at peace he was. In verse 29, he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Or another remarkable thing about Simeon is a worldview that allows him to cheerfully face death. This is said in reference to God's promise that he wouldn't see death until he had seen the Christ. Now, it may seem kind of curious to us and and perhaps even morbid that when he lifts up salvation in his hand and sings his blessing, in it is embedded a death wish. That may seem strange to us until we understand Simeon's worldview. Simeon believed that God is the master and he is the slave. The word he uses, Lord, is not the normal word for Lord. Uh, it is the word that has the root of despot in it. And, and it, it, it speaks of complete authority, utter authority. And so he says, Lord, my master, a- a- and so now you're um, letting me depart in peace. So he saw God as his absolute authority, and he just operated with an unquestioning obedience to God's will. All his life, he had been waiting on the promise of God. You see, Simeon was a sentinel. He was a watchman. He had been positioned for a purpose to watch for the Messiah. And now that he has seen it with his own eyes, it's like the morning has come. And that he is relieved of his duty. And so for Simeon, this is not morbid. This is, this is rejoicing. Like God gave me this assignment and now I am free of this assignment. And now he only awaited his master's final command. He's just saying, okay, master, what is my reassignment? And so, so death was not something that was scary to him. There's another hint in why he had this attitude and why he was at complete rest. And he says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. For Simeon, death was merely departure. It was nearly, merely departing from one place to another. And for Simeon, what bridged the gap from one place to another is the presence of his master. The Simeon, the servant, does not fear death because he knew that the master that commanded him in life was going to command him in death and be with him there. There are things that are remarkable about Simeon. His spirit-filled promises, the connections that he made that other people weren't connection, and his level of trust in God, his master. So our final question is, why does it matter? Simeon is going to give us the first part of that question, the answer to that question, in verses 33 through 35. And the second part, I just want us to take for a few moments and just consider why it matters for us today. So why does it matter? Well, because as Simeon observed, your destiny is going to be determined by your response to this person. Simeon noted that Jesus was a watershed. When I was growing up, I, I often passed a pretty curious sign. Uh, I passed it several times a week. And that sign said, I grew up in a mountainous region, it said continental divide. And so it actually marked the, the eastern continental divide in which, I guess this is a water thing. Okay, so if you land on one side of this, you're going to end up in the Gulf of Mexico. If you land on the other side of it, you're going to end up in the eastern seaboard in the Atlantic. And Simeon says, Jesus is that watershed How you respond to him is going to determine your destiny. In verses 33 through 35, Simeon turns from praise to prophecy, and there's a dark thread that's woven in his words. He says the response to Jesus will be mixed. There are going to be people who oppose him, who resist him. He says, behold, this child, this salvation is appointed. In other words, he is fixed. He is is planted for the fall and the rise of many and for a sign that is opposed. And sure enough, two chapters later in chapter 4, early in his ministry, we see Jesus beginning to divide the nation. In that story, Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth. He is met with unbelief, and so he tells them that a prophet is not, is not accepted in his hometown. And then Jesus cites the fact that God is working among the Gentiles. He cites the, the story of Elijah and the widow, and then he cites the example of Naaman from Syria who was healed of leprosy. And this so enraged them that they tried to throw him off a cliff. And so you see that the division was already starting. Just as Simeon foretold, Jesus had many, many enemies. And if you read the Gospels, you will just see that developing. He would indeed divide the nation, and as Simeon notes, Mary would be heartbroken as she sees what happens. Jesus was indeed rejected by religious rulers, and then he was turned over to Rome for crucifixion. But little did they know, the instruments in Jesus' death, that it was not Jesus that was falling. It was them. That his humiliation was going to be the point on which all of human history would turn. It was going to be the time in which all eyes were going to be fixed upon the cross. And even today, the cross is recognized as, as Jesus' symbol. And uh, that this cross is going to be the watershed of history. The enemies didn't succeed because Mary and others saw his resurrection. And then in Acts 2, in the very first chapters, we see Mary and his brothers and all of them meeting together and devoting themselves to his word as the gospel begins to spread to the Gentiles. So you see, Simeon's words did come true. And so the first reason that it really matters is because Simeon says our response to this person is going to determine our destiny. But there's something else, there's another reason why it matters for us today. Because you can't have Simeon's peace until you have Simeon's savior. You know, you may be sitting here today and you have yet to identify yourself as a believer. And this matters because Simeon here faces you with a claim that you really need to do something with. And I believe Henry, Henry James said, you know, not making a choice is a choice or something to that effect. So we actually have to grapple with this. Is Jesus who he says he is? If salvation is a person, then you must know that person. To reject that person is to reject God's salvation. There is no other way. And Jesus was very clear on that regard. As Jesus himself explained to a man who was kind of balanced on the watershed, Nicodemus, in John 3, "...whoever believes in him," speaking of himself, "...is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God." And this is the judgment. The light, and there's that language again, "...has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil." And so to not recognize Jesus for who he is, is to firmly plant yourself in darkness. There would really be no better way that I could think of than to end this year with you grappling with that claim and proclaiming Jesus as your Lord. Now for some others of us here, uh, we may not be wrestling with Christ's lordship, but Simeon models something for us that is, is, I think, just really important for us, uh, and that is the model for waiting on consolation. Simeon knew what it was like to wait on the promises of God. He spent his entire life waiting for it, and indeed, all of us who have professed Christ, we are waiting for his return. We, too, are waiting for our comfort, um, but in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of tension. You know, how do we make this truth real to ourselves? Like, if we, if we really ask, so here's this truth, that, that Jesus Christ is a person, and this person is light to me, he is revelation to me, he can open up my eyes, um, and we say, yes, I affirm with Simeon that truth, and yet I am filled with fear. Like, the, the life in its, in its uncertainties terrifies you, death in its finality terrifies you, and yet you subscribe to the truths that Simeon did, you know, it's okay. If that is something that you grapple with constantly, it's probably because you are tuned into a hi-fi vision of, of death, where it is before your eyes and, and you, are, you are very, very aware of it, or you are very tuned into uh, really just how tenuous life can be, where everybody else who is just kind of ignoring it is like fuzz in the background. For you, I think Simeon gives the gift of his, his worldview. I think that we should spend time consciously affirming that God is our master, our absolute master, that we are his servants, and that we are all on assignment. And when... He reassigns us. He is going to be with us. This is something that we can take into our our time with him, where we can think about this. We can reaffirm our relationship with him and just say, Lord, do with me as you wish because you are my master. And like Simeon, we should hold fast to promises. There are so many promises in Scripture that we should be clinging to. Let's go into this next year spending time looking for them, clinging to them, write them down, think about how it applies to you, carry them with you. This is something that Simeon modeled. And like Simeon, let's consecrate our lives and the rest in his timing. We just need to have that rest. David Livingston, who was a missionary, wrote a poem of consecration that I think Simeon just would have absolutely loved. He wrote this, "'Lord, send me anywhere.'" only go with me, lay any burden on me, any assignment, only sustain me, sever any tie, save the tie that binds me to your heart. Lord Jesus, my king, I consecrate my life, Lord, to thee. Simeon models what it looks like to live a life in tension with purpose as we move into whatever this next year holds. So we need to know that person who is salvation. We need to trust that person We need to spend time in in the revelation that he has provided for us. We need to side with that person in our daily relationships. We need to affirm that this master, this savior, will be with us wherever we go. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask this morning that if there is one here or one listening who has yet to put himself under your lordship. Lord, you have said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Yes, indeed, it is a yoke. It is one that we have to willingly take on, but Lord, it is easy and it is light. Father, I pray that if there's anybody who feels that they are sitting in darkness, and today, even, you have opened their eyes to their condition, which they would not even be aware of if you had not opened their eyes. I pray that they would respond by looking deeper into your claims and deeper into your revelation. Father, I pray for many here that have been touched in various ways. The many ways that they are, they are mourning, that they are seeing loss, decisions that they are having to make. Father, I just pray that you would comfort their hearts with the comfort that Simeon had so that they could rest. But I pray that they would trust you as their master in simple, unquestioning faith. And Lord, we thank you for this story that we could reflect on. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.